and welcome to another broadcast of Sunshine USA here on Spotify and some of the other platforms we broadcast on here at Sunshine USA. And as usual, this is me, Warren Landis. I'm your host and Bible teacher here on Sunshine USA. And um, today we're going to be back in the Book of Romans. And we are currently in the eighth chapter of the Book of Romans. And those of you that know your Bibles and you've been studying the Bible for years, <clears throat> you know that Romans is a book that is just very rich in the deep teachings of God. And it's one of those <clears throat> books in the Bible that for that reason, you want to take your time studying it. You don't want to rush through it. You want to make sure that you hear every word that the Lord has you know, for you to hear. And uh, it's very exciting. I'm thoroughly enjoying this study, and I hope uh, that you are too. Now, uh, we're going to be starting today with uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 29, that I'll begin commentating on in a few minutes. But I want to briefly review what we said about Romans 8, 28. Now, of course, many of you know that Romans 8, 28 is a very familiar uh, passage of Scripture. It is... Uh, a passage of scripture that has brought a lot of comfort to a lot of people over the years. <clears throat> but we also need to know there are certain things that this passage says and there are certain things that this passage does not say. It doesn't mean, for example, that everything that happens to us as Christians is going to be good. Uh, because if you've been a Christian any length of time, you know that bad things do happen. Even the Christians. Uh, Christians get laid off from their job. Christians have cars that break down. Uh, you know, Christians face all kinds of problems that anybody else faces. So we know that to be true. But it means that if we do love the Lord and we're called according to his purpose, that is, we're living in the will of God, then God will take even the bad stuff that happens and he will bring good out of it. And, uh, and so that's a great comfort to us as Christians right there. But you do have to remember that Romans 8.28 does not apply to lost people. It only applies to Christian people. It only applies to Christian people. So keep that in mind. Now we come to... Romans 8.29 For whom he did foreknow well, Let's stop there for a minute. What about this word foreknow? <clears throat> well, to me this word foreknow is very important to really understanding uh, Romans 8.29 And that is the fact that God knows everything. He knows everything that's already happened. He knows everything that's happening now. And he knows everything that will happen in the future. For example, uh, many of you know I've shared many times, uh, November is my spiritual birthday month. I was saved in November 
1969. November 1969, I was saved. I came to know Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. Now, did that take God by surprise? Was God just totally amazed and surprised when I got saved? No. God knew when I was born back in August of 1954, God knew that in November 1969, I would be saved and I would come to know Christ as my Savior. But you see, he also gave me a choice. I could decide, yes, I want to be saved, or no, I don't want to be saved. I could say, yes, I love God, or no, I don't love God. God gave me a choice, just as God gives you a choice, and he gives everybody else a choice. If someone dies and goes to hell, they can't blame it on God. Because God didn't make that decision that led them to hell. They made that decision themselves. But obviously God, being the all-knowing God that he is, he knew that it was going to happen. He knew that that person would reject Christ. And so they spend eternity in this terrible, awful place called hell. I've also said many times before, too, I don't think today we have enough preaching and teaching on the subject of hell. Because hell is a real place, it's a literal place, and people really are going to hell. And if we really believe that, it's going to compel us to do everything we can to tell a lost and dying world that Jesus Christ loves them and has a wonderful plan for their life and he wants to save them. And most of all, he does not want them to end up in hell. But I'm afraid one reason we don't do more evangelism today, one reason we don't see too many churches these days holding revival meetings, is because people have lost the conviction that lost people really are going to hell. See, that's a very important thing to realize. And of course, God, being the totally sovereign God that he is, he already knows who's going to hell and who's going to heaven. Not because he made that decision for them, but he knew what decision they would make. Amen. Now, let's uh, roll on here. It says here, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the first fruit among many brethren. Now, we have this very controversial word here in our King James Bible, predestinate, which is a derivative of the word predestination. Now, you talk about <laughs> controversy. You talk about conflict. Many churches debate long and hard over this word predestination. And when they think of predestination, they have an idea that when you were born, God already decided whether you were going to heaven or hell. That decision was already made for you by God. But nothing 
could be further from the truth. Like I said before, God gave me a choice. He gives you a choice. And he gives everybody in our world today a choice in the matter. But those who he knew would follow him. He predestinated them to conform to the image of his son. So you see, God wants you and I as believers, you and I who have chosen to love God and follow God, God wants us to conform to the image of his son. In other words, God wants us, God wants you and I, to be like Jesus. Now, the only way you and I can be like Jesus is for you and I to let Jesus live the Christian life in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way. Because none of us are perfect on our own. None of us are without sin. Now, I know some people, uh, they will lead you to believe they never commit sin. They will lead you to believe they never do anything wrong, but nothing can be further from the truth. Because the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The only difference is some people know it and some people refuse to admit it. But you have to accept that before you can be saved and come to know Christ as your Savior. You have to admit, even at your best, the Bible says you're a dirty, rotten, filthy, stinking sinner. Now, you may not do some of the things other sinners do. You may not go out and murder anybody. You may not go out and rob any banks. You may not scam people out of millions of dollars. But the Bible says, nonetheless, you are a sinner. And when I got saved back in November of 1969, one of the hardest things for me to do was to admit that I was, you know, a sinner. I mean, I thought I was pretty good. I went to church every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night. I was active in the youth program. I went to summer camp every summer. I went on choir tour with the youth choir, read my Bible every day or just about every day. And man, I thought I was pretty good. <laughs> I thought I was good stuff. But you know what? The Lord had to show me, hey, Warren, you're a sinner, you might as well own up to it. And so when I owned up to it, Jesus came into my heart, and the Holy Spirit took up residence in my heart. And by the way, that brings up a very important point. When you get saved, you get all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to have. You know, we have different churches and denominational groups today that want you to believe that receiving the Holy Spirit is a second blessing. No, it's not. You get all the Holy Spirit you're ever going to receive when you make that decision to receive Christ as your Savior. He comes into your heart and you invite the Lord to set up housekeeping in your heart. And you invite the Lord to lead, guide, and direct you. And as long as you do that, you'll never sin. But of course, we're not perfect. We 
sometimes say, hey, God, I'm going to take the steering wheel here. I, I think, God, I can make a better decision here than you can. And the next thing you know, we're messing up. Okay, now let's uh, read on further. Um, moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called he also justified. And whom he justified, he also glorified. Now because we chose to believe God has called us, that's why we can be referred to as the called of God. And he also justified us. Now this word justified, and I think I've covered this on earlier broadcasts, the word justified basically means in its simplest form, justified never sinned before. The Lord comes in, he forgives me of my sins. And by the way, it's a thorough job. He, he forgives all of my sins, past, present, and future. He forgives me of sins I haven't even committed yet. And he counts me as justified. I, in effect, become reconciled unto God. And then we have another word here, glorification. Glorified. Now, right now, as a Christian, right now, as a Christian, I continue to live in this body, on this earth, and I continue to have to face the battle of temptation. Because of the fact that I'm a human being, and the devil is out to get me. As Christians, you and I may not realize it, but we're involved in spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare. That's why the Bible says we have to put on the whole armor of God. Spiritual warfare. Because we're not yet saved from the presence of sin. And we still have to deal with the tempting power of Satan. Because bearing in mind, when you made that decision to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it made Satan mad. Satan got so mad at you, you couldn't believe it. And so when you got saved, he said, okay, so-and-so got saved, but you know what? He says, I'm going to keep them from being of any value to God whatsoever. And so he comes along and he tempts us. Now, one of the important things we have to understand <clears throat> about the power of Satan is the fact that Satan has so much more power than you and I have. Now, most of us as Christians, we don't have any trouble acknowledging that God is more powerful than Satan. Because he is. But I think as Christians, sometimes we tend to underestimate the power of Satan. I mean, yeah, God is more powerful than Satan. And God can beat Satan any day of the week, hands down. But Satan, on the other hand, is more powerful than you and I. 
He can tempt us in ways you wouldn't imagine. And and probably it's easier for Satan to tempt us now than ever before. Because, you know, we have all kinds of streaming services now. We have cable. We have satellite. We have all this technology, the Internet. The devil has more ways than ever before to pull us into temptation. He's powerful. He's crafty. He's tricky. He's deceitful. And if we're not careful, we fall into one of his traps. You know why? Because Satan is more powerful than you and I. But you and I have the privilege of being able to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's how you and I can have victory over Satan. But the only way we're going to do that is by tapping into the Holy Spirit of God. We cannot fight Satan by ourselves on our own. It cannot be done. Never has been done, never will be done. Amen. Then we come to verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God can be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Now, by the way, God's elect is you and me. When you made that decision to accept Christ as your Savior, you became one of God's elect. (laughs) And God takes over from there. He provides for us. He loves us. He protects us with an everlasting love. Amen. Verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, Rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who maketh intercession, who also maketh intercession for us. Think about that. We have Christ on the right hand of God making intercession for us. Now, one way that we can try to understand this is by realizing that Christ is our counsel. He's our legal counsel. He represents us before God. He says, God, this is one of my children. God, ultimately, this is one of your children. This person is the real deal. Oh, no, they're not perfect, but their sins are under the blood that I shed on the cross. You see, Christ intercedes for us. And I shared with you on a previous broadcast how the Holy Spirit Praise for us with utterings that cannot be uttered. Mm-mm-mm. Now, I know you have all these lawyers today advertising on TV. But let me tell you, not a one of them is better than Jesus. Jesus is our counselor. He's our representative. He's our spokesman. He intervenes on our behalf. 
He speaks up for us. He defends us. And aren't we glad as Christians that we have all of that going for us? That is something else. Okay, now, let's roll on. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Nothing can separate us from God. We are God's property. We are joint heirs for Christ. And nobody could separate us from God. You know, someone may not like me. They may persecute me. They may say all kinds of bad stuff about me. But you know what, ladies and gentlemen? They can't take Christ away from me. They'll never succeed in doing that. If I one day had to be a martyr for Christ... The most that the enemy can do to me is kill this body right here. But they cannot separate me from the love of God. And I'll just know that I'll be in heaven moving into my heavenly mansion. And man, I tell you, I can hardly wait for that to happen. Moving into my heavenly mansion. Ooh-wee! Man, I love the thought of that. So yeah, you could kill this whole body. You could lock me up in prison. But guess what? Christ is going to be with me every step of the way. And to me, that is a very comforting thought. Tribulation cannot separate us from God. Distress cannot separate us from the love of God. When you're stressing out over your bills and your financial situation, when you're stressing out over the way things are going at work, guess what? God is with you. God is with you right beside you. It's like you're handcuffed to God. You don't have to worry about him getting away from you. He's right there with you. Amen. Amen. Okay, let's read on. What about persecution? I believe very strongly one of these days you and I are going to face persecution the likes of which we've never seen before. Persecution. I mean, right now, a lot of times we say we're persecuted, but not really. You know, maybe people at work make fun of you because you're a Christian. Maybe people say bad things about you because you're a Christian. But, you know, that's nothing compared to what Christians down through the years have had to face. I mean, I've read all of my life about people that were burned at the stake because they love God. I read about people that choose to die rather than turning their backs on God. I've heard about pastors that might spend years in prison for no other crime than the fact that they love God and want to serve God. 
And I, I, I think the time is coming in this country where we're going to be facing persecution on a level we've never seen it before. Some of you that never thought you would have to worry about being a martyr for Christ, you may get that opportunity. That's how bad it's going to get. Amen. But you know, even then, you're not separated from God. God is right there with you. And um, he goes on to say, or famine, or nakedness. I mean, think about it. No matter how poor you are, no matter how destitute and poverty you become, God is right there with you every step of the way. Nobody could separate you from the love of God. He goes on to say, or peril, or sword. <laughs> like I say, your enemies, the most they can do to you is kill you. And really, in effect, they would almost be doing you a favor because then you get to spend eternity with God up in heaven and be reunited with all your Christian loved ones that went on before. So ultimately, you win. God wins. Amen. Verse 36. As it is written, for they, or, or rather, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, we are accounted as sheep to the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Christ that loved us. We are more than conquerors. What the Bible says here, we're not just conquerors, we are more than conquerors. We have total and complete victory over Satan. Amen. He says in verse 38, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things come, nor height, nor depth, or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that brings us, by the way, to the end of chapter 8. And ultimately, like Paul says here, absolutely, positively nothing could separate us from the love of God. Now, one of the things I believe very strongly in is the fact I believe in once saved, always saved. It's called the security of the believer. Now, Schofield in his notes, many of you know that I have a King James Schofield Bible. And one of the reasons I love the Schofield Bible is so much is because the outlines and the notes are fantastic. One of the things Schofield says about Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39, is the fact that the believer is secure. We are secure. 
That's why when you get saved, you don't have to worry about being saved all over again at some point in the future. You are saved one time for a lifetime. I mean, I would hate to think that when I got saved in 1969, I would hate to think that every time I sinned, I had to get saved all over again. You see, nothing could separate us from the love of God. Once saved, always saved. Now, by the way, this is not a license to commit sin. You can't say, well, praise God, I'm saved, and I'm saved forevermore. I can go out here, sin like the devil, and not worry about it. Well, if that's the way you're thinking, I question whether or not you ever got saved in the first place. Because you see, if you ever truly got saved and came to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, then let me tell you something. You have a desire to live for Christ. You have a desire to live for God. You have a desire to live right slap dab in the middle of God's will for your life. That's what your desire is. You have no desire to go back to the old life. And some of you, the kind of life that you lived before you got saved, man, I tell you, you wouldn't want to go back to that kind of life anyway, would you? Because you know that what God has given you now is so much greater than anything you could ever imagine. And it only gets better from here. Like I say, that brings us to the end of Romans chapter number 8. In the next broadcast in this series, we'll be in chapter 9, verse 1. So by all means, if you haven't read Romans chapter 9 yet, I strongly recommend that you go ahead and read Romans chapter 9 before we get to the next broadcast. And once again, as usual, if uh, you have any Bible study questions, if you have any prayer requests, any praises to God, the best way to let me know is by email, and I have two email addresses. One is warrenlandis at yahoo.com, and the other one is warrenlandis at gmail.com. And if you want to contact me by snail mail, that's the old-fashioned way. My snail mail address is warrenlandis. 80 Thruston Street, that's T-H-R-U-S-T-O-N, 80 Thruston Street, apartment 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. Warren Landis, 80 Thruston Street, apartment 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. And like I say, I would just thoroughly enjoy hearing from you. Uh, because you guys are the reason I do this ministry. Like I say, I don't get a paycheck for doing this broadcast. I do it as a volunteer because I love you and I love God. And so let me tell you, when, when I get a letter from you, when I get an email from you, it's like getting communication from a family member. You are part of my family. And I love you so dearly and I appreciate y'all.
more than words can ever say. Amen. Well, that brings us to the end of this broadcast, but don't fret none, because after all, uh, one of these days, uh, we'll uh, see each other in heaven, and that's going to be a grand and glorious thing right there when we see each other in heaven. I can't wait for that to happen. Well, anyway, <laughs> I'll be back again next time on the next broadcast. Till then, God bless you, and I'll see you next time on Sunshine USA.